Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and coming back again is... Your name here. Oh. Oh, that's me. Um, wait. Which name am I using for this show? Oh, yeah, this is John Wilson. Sorry, I had to, remember for, had to think about that for a second. Is that who I'm using? Crap. I thought I got Lily Wilson. I got the... Oh, crap. I got... Uh, I mean, yay, John! Yay! <laughs> yeah, you can't talk to my daughter right now. She's at Girl Scout camp. Ah. They have Girl Scout camp? I didn't know. Oh, no, it makes sense. This is her last year as a um, regular camper. Mm-hmm. Next year, she'll be a counselor in training camper. Ooh. CIT, so she'll get to help make things happen. It'll be fun. And she'll get some power. Yes, yes. So we're here to talk about Warlock number eight. But before we do, I had a couple of things I want to share with you, Al, about your uh, Captain Marvel yes. coverage recently. Because I've been listening along and reading along. and um couple things. I have been reading all of Captain America and the Avengers from the original 1960s issues up until where y'all are. And before anybody complains that Captain America actually dates back to the 40s, yes, I'm reading those two, but in parallel. So I haven't read them all yet. Um, anyways, so one of the things that factors heavily into the Thanos War storyline that you're doing that also factors heavily into Captain America's narrative is the Cosmic Cube. True. Very true. And in the Thanos War storyline, Thanos gets the location of the Cosmic Cube out of Rick Jones's brain. And right. he says that it was placed there by the Supreme Intelligence because we don't know why. The plot just has to demand that it come from somewhere, and the yeah. Supreme Intelligence messed with you know Rick's brain, so whatever. Um, would you like to know where the Cosmic Cube was previously to the Thanos War storyline? Where was it? Because in the Thanos thing, we see it's in Louisiana. Issue 119 of Captain America... AIM, who created the Cosmic Cube, decides it's too dangerous, and they deconstruct and destroy it. That's a different place in Louisiana, isn't it? <laughs> Non-existence is different to existence in Louisiana, yes. It's like how atheism, atheism is not a religion, and off is not a TV channel. Wait, wait, so I'm not missing a new season. Okay, I feel better now. Thank you. <laughs> so, so it, yeah. Was, um, it was gone. I was curious whenever I read that happening in Captain America 119. I was like, huh, I wonder how they're going to get it to come back in time for Thanos to use it in the 70s. And the way they brought it back was Jim Starlin wasn't reading Captain America. Yep. <laughs> so there If I didn't read it, it didn't happen. An untold story or a told story that I'm just not familiar with of how the Cosmic Cube actually, maybe it was, maybe it's one of those things that can't be destroyed, it just regenerates, like, Time Lords and and oh, Minecraft's characters. Like, it's so powerful that they, th- they, they just, you know, got rid of it, and it just reconstructed itself somewhere else. Actually, you know what? Now that we're saying that, I like that idea, like, while AIM has it in the little Who's He Wants contraption, and they're destroying it, like, George in the back, he like 
decides to use the thought, well, what if we didn't destroy it? I really don't want to destroy it. Maybe it could just like still exist somewhere, like in a swamp in Louisiana or something. And, and the cosmic cube keys in on those thought processes and, and just does that pretends to destroy and, and instead regenerates over in Louisiana. Th- that's possible. Also, I was thinking, I'm trying to remember how it worked, but I know there are some cosmic beings in the Marvel Universe that I forget. I think they started out as cosmic cubes. Like the Shaper of Worlds, I believe, used to be a cosmic cube from, from like a, another galaxy. Oh, so, so there are like multiple cosmic cubes? Yeah. I'm 90% certain that's what it was. So. Well, the, the, the pre Thanos cosmic cube, the cosmic cube that Red Skull got a hold of like three times in the late 60s and early, uh, going into the 1970s, um, that was an invention of AIM. Like they created yes. it. Well, originally, yes, that's how it was. But then eventually, I'm not sure where the change came up, but I know there have been other cosmic cubes from the, like, in the universe that were not created here on Earth. And they're oh. older. Okay. And so I'm wondering also, could this be a different cosmic cube? Again, like you said, an untold story, or a told one that we haven't read, but that's not the same cube, maybe. In which case, uh, also, also, secondarily, Rick Jones wasn't even there. Yes. Or was he? No, 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 because Captain America was alone on the island. That's where he met the Falcon, although the Falcon wasn't um, his partner yet. Yeah, that's he was, right. He was on an island. That was a story that, for part of this story, he and um, Red Skull had swapped bodies, and he ditched Rick Jones as a partner. And that's around the time that Captain Marvel came back to publication, because Captain Marvel basically, I'm sorry, Captain America, with Red Skull in his brain, basically told Rick to F off. And there's an asterisk saying that Rick is going to F off over in Captain Marvel. <laughs> so, well, they have to say um, F off. They're, they're the... Uh, uh, comics code. They couldn't say, you know, the real thing. Right. Say, Frog off or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, that's it. No, the no. other thing I was going to tell you about Captain Marvel is, did y'all notice that they were misspelling Marvel for two issues? Would they put an extra L in there? No, they put the hyphen in the wrong place. Where'd they put it? I'm they were calling him. They were call, for two issues, twenty six and twenty seven. They were calling him Marv L. Oh, like Superman. Yeah. Instead of Only- Marvel. Instead of Marvel, they were calling him Marv, like Marv Wolfman, E L L. And uh, a letter writer wrote into the issue twenty eight letters column complaining, and they're like, "You are totally right. Mike Friedrich was misspelling it in his scripts, and it got past everybody, and no one noticed." But now at issue twenty, um, I don't know what I cut off in. Uh, it was about the Marvel name. Oh yeah, that it got past everybody. Mike Friedrich re- oh, yeah. mistyped. Mike Friedrich was misspelling the the name in the scripts, and it got past everybody. And so in issue twenty eight, they apologized to the letter writer, and they fixed it. <laughs> That's funny, but actually that goes with something. I forgot if I was talking to you or Blaine Dowler about it. That goes with me. That goes with actually. I didn't think about the name when I go. When I had my theory about how Captain Marvel, especially after Starling got a hold of him, they kind of redid as Marvel Superman. Trying to think about how you mean that because it goes well. Cause, oh, oh no, I think it was Blaine Dowler because we were talking. It was about the uh, talking about the uh, death of Graf- Captain Marvel graphic novel. So it was on the mm-hmm. uh, 75 Greatest Countdown podcast episode. When you read that, they allude, they very much allude, like kind of say, I came to Earth, and then eventually other people with powers were there. Like they kind of retcon him into being the first one. And the way that they kind of, I mean, Captain Marvel did some cool stuff, and yes, he saved the universe, but, you know, Thanos, but 
so did everyone else by that point, pretty much anyway. Right. So, like, the fact that they treated him like the greatest ever was nice, but you're kind of like, like, well, why? But the way they do, the way if you read, when you read that novel, graphic novel, you look at that, you're like, oh, he's the first one. They kind of retconned him to be before, almost like before FF. Like, he was first, and then there was everyone else. Doesn't like, really he's work their with Superman. the history. Yeah. yeah but like, they kind of retconned a bit. Like, yeah, he was first, he's the Superman, and that kind of fits with how they, you know, memor- you know, memorialized him ever since, that he's the greatest ever. Because it was almost like, what if Superman had died, you know, when, let's say, he fought Doomsday and just never came back? Right. You know, they'd always look back and think of, oh, Superman, you know, too bad Superman, you know, you'd have, you know, always have people still trying to, you know, fill in for Superman, remembering Superman, et cetera, et cetera. And that does kind of, I mean, I don't know, that probably wasn't their intention originally when they gave him the name, but I'm sure that probably didn't hurt, you know, Starlin thinking about it. That does kind of fit in a little bit with the whole cosmic awareness thing that they're going to do to him. Have you read the Metamorphosis issue yet? I haven't, no, not yet. I haven't read the 29 yet. Okay. Um, but I, know, I mean, I know what that, happens, more or less. It's a thing that Brian was alluding to with the um, how they were pl- placing emphasis on his warrior mentality. Mm-hmm. Because they turn him from a warrior into a man who will fight for right if he has to, but who does not want to. And that does kind of fit into more of a Superman mentality. He's here to make good happen. If that requires fighting, okay, but that's not his first go-to move. His first go-to that, move is not just, I'm going to punch you in the face. Right, and that's a bit of a Superman-like attitude. Yeah. Well, for most of Superman's history. Well, except for, you know, when he's dropping, you know, Golden Age, when he's dropping people off cliffs and going, oh, well. Right. A fitting end for his kind. Exactly. I mean, I'm not sure. I think they've all said that at one point or another anyway. Or a post-crisis and New 52 where he's beating up wife beaters earlier in his career. Yeah. Just because they're wife beaters. Oh, that's good enough for me. I can't argue with that one too much. I didn't notice, I didn't notice that one. And I didn't really, I'll have to look that up about the cube to see if it's ever been specified anywhere. Right. Or if they, or if it's just something that people went, oh yeah, I guess we kind of forgot about that. Or if you out there actually know about this and you're yelling at your iPod or listening device going, I know what happened. Don't just yell because we can't always hear. <laughs> sometimes. If we you are try not really hard, aware. If you believe really hard, sometimes we can. Right. But not right. always. So you send an email to resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com and I will read it. Me and John will go, oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. I forgot about that one. So they they fix it in the Obnoxio the Clown versus the X-Men one-shot? Wow. <laughs> Who knew? Well, they can also email them with their thoughts on the issue for today, which is Warlock number eight, which is the last issue of the series. For now. It'll come back. Yeah. It's very sad. Yes. And it'll last less issues than it did now. <laughs> it'll be more acclaimed, but it'll last less time. Go figure. Right. Sorry, I was looking online. There's a particular website I know of that sometimes keeps track of obscure narrative chronologies and stuff, and I thought they might have the Cosmic Cube, but it looks like they just do characters. Oh, no, there's items. Oh, there we go. Uh, let's see if they have an entry for Cosmic Cube. All right, let's... Yeah. That means- no, they have Cosmic Calculator and Cosmic Key, but not Cosmic Cube. There's a Cosmic Calculator? Yeah. <laughs> 
what like Loki used that to cheat on his Asgardian SATs or something? It's from Howard the Duck number one. Uh, oh, I forgot about that one. That's right with Pro Rata. The the yes, Pro Rata the Cosmic Calculator. Yeah, they got yeah, they has, His greatest source of power was the Cosmic Calculator. Yes, like, that's there it is. right. I forgot about that one. Okay, never mind. I have not read Howard the Duck. I I have the essential. I love it. Lily got a kick out of the film, so she wanted the essential, so I got her the essential, but it was over her head at the time. She was way too young. Yeah. No, yeah. You have to get a few... Yeah, she would probably need even another year or two now to really get into it, because it's very satire, and it it does help to have an idea of what was going on at the time as well. Right. Because it's satire of, you know, 70s America. You know, I have trouble as a child. (laughs) Warlock's not satire of 70s America, but it... It has at times been a sort of portrait of 70s America's attitudes towards religion and yes. faith and God and things of that nature. But, but the, the way those things the work, covers, but the way, I was going to say, the way those things work, that kind of still works now. Right. But anyway. The cover asks us, is this the end of Warlock? And yes, yes, this is the end. Yes. And an end that I have to believe from reading this issue was not completely expected. And yet it kind of works. And I'll talk more about that at the end. No, but, I can um, see that. But yeah, let's first, let's first drop in the uh, synopsis so everyone has a clue what we're talking about. Including me. Warlock number eight. Confrontation. Had a cover date of October 1973 and an on-sale date of July 24th, 1973. And an original cover price of 20 cents. Written by Mike Friedrich. Art by Bob Brown. Inked by Tom Sutton. Lettered by Artie Simic, colored by George Russos, edited by Roy Thomas, and the cover art is by John Romita Sr. The issue opens with protests in the Washington, D.C. of Counter-Earth. Protests demanding freedom for Adam Warlock. Inside the Capitol building, a secret council meeting is being held to discuss the problem of Adam Warlock and the number of super beings that have recently shown up. At that moment outside, two large monstrous-looking creatures, which could be demons, or could be new men, leap out of the reflecting pool. One is a snake man, and the other is bestial, with large ram horns on its head. These two monsters start attacking the protesters. The police don't see the monsters. To them, it just looks like the protesters have started to riot. Meanwhile, back in California, at Estrella's cabin, we find Adam, along with Jason, David, and Ellie. Adam is trying to adjust to his newfound popularity and support, and trying to figure out the best way for him to proceed. Before that discussion can go any further, Estrella bursts into the cabin to show Adam the riot on TV. While the cops are unable to see the demons, Adam can, and he is furious. Before he can do anything, Estrella throws herself at him and begs Adam to not go to Washington. She admits to Adam that she has been deceitful to him, but she knows what is waiting for him back east and is worried for him. She knows this because her last name is Carpenter. She is the president's sister. In space, the High Evolutionary watches Adam with some sort of secret spy cam. This time, he is not speaking to himself. He is company in the form of the Regillian Recorder. He proclaims that the Recorder will go to Earth and document Adam's life. He also tries to give the Recorder the new name of Memorax, but that's not going to stick. After two pages recapping the origin of Counter-Earth and Adam's life until now, we turn to President Carpenter, who is planning on going out to talk directly to the protesters. He is warned that some of the protesters are armed, 
and have taken over the Lincoln Memorial, and that is exactly where he goes. As he arrives at the memorial, the two demons arrive at the same time and start toying with the crowd. President Carpenter starts to talk, and both people and demons seem to listen. That is until the arrival of Warlock. The demons attack Warlock after introducing themselves as aggression and deceit or dishonesty. The three fight a battle using obvious symbolism and mental images. In order to defeat them, Adam uses his soul gen to let the truth shine through and ends up transported to the president's office. There, President Rex Carpenter reveals himself to have been responsible for everything that's happened in the last several issues, because he is really the man-beast. Daddy, what did you do when Atlantis attacked? I donned my iron armor to fight with Namor the Submariner. That was Iron Man. What did you do when Atlantis attacked? I gathered a group of heroes to fight against the serpent crime with my mighty shield held high. That's Captain America. Try again. I spun a web any size. Spider-Man. Uh, I punished the drug dealers. I have no idea. But are you just doing another podcast? Another podcast? Yes. Mark's Mess vs. Atlantis Attacks, a 15-part limited podcast series examining the Marvel annuals that have the banner heading of Atlantis Attacks. A story... A story joining the Marvel heroes against the Serpent Crown. Find it at marksmesspodcast.blogspot.co.uk on Twitter at Mark's Mess Podcasts and on iTunes by searching Mark's Mess. Where's my fiber? That was a beautiful synopsis there. Thank you, thank you. I'm very proud of it. Yeah. It's um I, I, I guided it. I, I, I helped it, I taught it, and now it's flying. It can fly on its own. Of all the synopses I've ever heard of this issue, that one was the sweetest and dearest to my heart. They grew up so fast. I know. Okay, so on the front yes. of the comic, Warlock's punching an alligator. Yes, basically. Knight of the Archdemon, or Archdemon. Archdemon, yes. Yeah, I guess it's an... It, it's really... Is it an alligator inside, though? I thought it was more of like a gecko, giant gecko lizard thingy, not a gator. Um... You live in Florida, so you know what? If you say it's a alligator, I'll defer to you. You have the expertise on that. Well, alligators don't really have uh, forked tongues going on, which kind of messes with the alligator look. But uh, it's it, 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 the, the head still looks kind of alligator, like a dinosaur alligator-ish. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it now, though. I'm looking at all those pages, the first page we see them. It kind of looks like uh, King Cobra, whatever his name is, from He-Man. A little bit, a little bit. But on the front... It definitely has, like, the flattened head that's in line with his torso yeah. and a very, very long tail. Only one of us may claim this tower. The other will find nothing but death. And the tower they're talking about is actually the Washington Monument. So, and King Kong is not trying to climb it. Otherwise, he would also have a problem with Warlock. Yes. So, yeah, that's it. That's other, also a new thing for this issue. They're actually jumped uh, across the country. It's the first time it really doesn't take place entirely on the West Coast. Yeah, well, we open up the issue and we're in Washington D.C. Yeah, where we have a cr- yeah we have the crowd there chanting for Warlock, the government to leave Warlock alone with their really nifty Warlock statue. 
And this is jumping into a situation that feels a little bit like we've, we've missed some time since the last issue. Because last issue was a very, you know, nicely done story of the death of Doctor Doom. I say nicely done. I mean, it was the brute. Yes. And there were some shenanigans and it was silly. But <laughs> Doctor Doom went out nicely. Yes, yes, he did. But yeah, I mean, once they kind of did a little bit with the uh, public opinion of Warlock, but they kind of, it was a very insular story. You know, really had nothing to do with the outside world, so... We and we of, have heard in the past of the government for swearing Warlock, but he's apologized for that. Yeah, in, in issue seven, that, that's why the uh, cops let um, David and Ellie go go along with Warlock in his custody, because he's like, okay, they called out the manhunt for you, there's no reason why you can't go out. I'm not but sure. Yeah. Gone bad. I'm not sure if they've done anything since then, or if people are just annoyed at them, right? And just using an excuse, or maybe because we we turn the page and they're deliberating. Maybe they're just you know voicing their opinion about the deliberation. Maybe they're trying to come to some sort of new consensus about what to do with this supernatural being in their midst. Anyone outside is protesting. Yes. And the deliberation, the, the the little secret government meeting about Warlock gives us a handy dandy reason to have a recap of the last of the whole series. <laughs> it's always fun at the end of the series to have a recap of everything's gone before. Yes. Now, this is kind of in contrast to our ongoing allegory of the story of Christianity because there was not a public outcry for Jesus to be left alone. In fact, during the story of Jesus' arrest and everything, they all, Pilate like, goes out to the group and yeah. says, do you want me to release Jesus? And they'd, him, they'd rather he release this, like, murderer somebody. I don't know if he uh, did a bad thing. Stole puppies from kittens or something. Yeah, Barabbas. I, remember the, I don't remember what he did, but I remember the name. Right. Give us Barabbas. I remember the Charlton Heston movie. I think it was right. Charlton Heston. Probably. You know who else played Jesus at one point? Who? Christopher Pike from the original Star Trek pilot. Jeffrey really? Hunter? Yeah. Film called King of Kings. Jeffrey Hunter was Jesus. So his wife was not very pleased when he went from being Jesus to being a TV show sci-fi captain guy. Well, I mean, if you're going to use that as your, as your like reasoning, it's like, well, if she's going to say it like that, he should be like, okay, I'm retired. Why? Well, I played Jesus on you. Who, who do you want to go next then? If you're going to compare everyone to this guy... <laughs> if you're going to put Jesus up there, and then you're going to compare every woman to do to that, if you're putting him up there, you're not going to have anyone compare to it. So stop comparing me to Jesus, Mom. Yeah, <laughs> stop there. But yeah, they have their little meeting about the. And, he, and to be fair, they mentioned the good things he's done. He took out Apollo. He d- just defeated the Deathbirds. And I guess they're you know saying, well, he didn't stop Eddie Roberts from being killed. So you know. Let's just blame, you know, that's his fault. <laughs> but the one thing I do agree with them is that they, they said, like, and there was an demise of our leading scientist who only him and his followers were there to see, so we really don't know what happened. Right. And I'm like, and oh. sin- Go ahead. I was going to say, I can give them that one. I can understand about Doom, because they're like, uh, we only have your word. We don't know. We don't know you enough to take your word. Right. One comment that was a little bit weird, he says, since his arrival, the number has become... The, the number of beings with superhuman abilities has become almost incalculable. Oh, I look, I, I was reading that. I went, oh, you're cute. Yeah, I was like, so we have the supervillains who've been in the issue, and we have the, the, the various issues. We have the new men 
who are sort of off on their own, haven't really had a part in this story at all, but are on Counter-Earth. Yes. And that's all I can think of. Yes, but for them, that's still a lot. I mean, they I need... guess if you work in the government, more yeah. than 20 is hard to count. Well, yeah, probably. Or you, Sorry, no. I love all of my government employee listeners. It was, it was a cheap joke. <laughs> or also, if you're... Tr- if you're if you're trying to get something going on about against Warlock, you, you kind of do want to play it up a little bit. You know, it's an incalculable number. It's actually about 25. We calculated it very easily. We can even calculate it up to 50 if you want to. Shut up. <laughs> you're not helping my cause. I, I love this guy's little, little, little pointer flashlight. It's an orange flashlight that's completely covered except for a little arrow cut out. Yeah. And it's like in all the different slides of Warlock, there's a little orange arrow pointing to it. And that's totally the guy shining the flashlight on the wall. It's like, here, I'm pointing here. Now I'm pointing here. Oh, I'm pointing at Doom. Doink, doink, doink. Point his head. Doink, doink, doink. Look, it's metal. <laughs> I wonder if we sat at home the night before. Big meeting. Cut with construction paper. A little sharp, little exacto knife. Put the flashlight down on top of the construction paper, cut around it so it fits exactly. You know, sketched out very carefully a little arrow symbol. Had the little exacto knife, was cutting it just gently enough to make. Ah, crap! That's too big. Did I buy more? I bought more paper. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I love that part. It's become incalculable. I'm like, oh, you're adorable. Imagine right. if you're in the real Marvel. Well, because that's the other thing, remember, they never had any of these things. They didn't even have, they had no one in World War II or World War One. So they have no, you know, they've had nothing. The invaders from World War Two and whatever the, minor group there was during the World War One era, they include the Phantom Eagle. The Liberty um, Legion. Liberty Legion, that did not exist. And there's been no Fantastic Four. There's been no Captain Marvel or Spider-Man. Hulk. Hulk. Yeah, as I said, up until now, Doom was the closest they had. And that's only because you put somebody in a metal mask and suddenly they become yeah, a comic well, character. Well, yeah. It at least makes them different. You know, this is the closest they had to something standing out from above of all humanity. <laughs> Where pretty much anyone in the world can point him going, that's Professor Doom. How do you know? You see the big metal mask on his head that no one else on the planet wears? That's how I know. I love the signs that we have, like, back off Big Brother... Warlock saves, Warlock works wonders, get off Warlock's back. And then after the little conference page, you have one that says, Warlock is cool. Yeah. (laughs) Free our Warlock. (laughs) And these demons, which, you know, pretty much are straight-up demons, they say, Warlock, you dare mention his name in our presence, we've come to smash Warlock and all who believe his lies. So they're coming out of, they're like, anti the propaganda that Warlock is spreading, except that Warlock's not spreading propaganda, so... Yeah, and also, you I mean, it's been done before, but I don't—I haven't seen it happen. At least it didn't happen in this issue. But you usually have to be pretty dumb that when, like, an actual, like, demon shows up and says, we don't like this good person. He lies. Yeah, that's it. Trust me, I'm a demon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I, like... It's like, well, you, you, you're telling you're going you're gonna to help us, but this demon says you're not. This you, you're not. And I mean, how can you not trust a demon? <laughs> I remember when I was first reading, I'm like, well, that's not the best plan in the world, <laughs> unless they're going to go with people of Counter Earth are really, really stupid. They'll believe any. As long as you just tell them something, they'll believe it. Right. But they don't go too far with that one, at least. And I'm still not even after the end of the issue. I'm not really sure what the deal with the demons is. 
Hopefully they, I can't remember, but hopefully they explain in the Hulk issues. Yeah, because I wrote down, we get to what I have marked as page 12, because I don't have the page numbers, is that they, they seem to be pretty much straight-up demons. And yeah. they are visible to some and invisible to others. Exactly. Uh, like The Riot Squad shows up, and at first you think that they're trying to fight off the demons too, but no, they're to their eyes, you have all these peaceful protesters who've now suddenly started rioting. Exactly. So I don't think, I mean, they could be new men, but they'd have to, I mean, unless, unless they'd be shown to be like really jacked up new men. I was reading a story. When was the story from? It was from a 1942 or 43 Captain America comics story. And you had this guy named the Reaper who was basically like the hate monger, only without the hate ray. He just came out of nowhere and started, like, you know, rousing people up against, like, against the law and order and against the police. And the police couldn't arrest him because he was just exercising free speech. He wasn't actually leading any rioting. And he's like, if the people choose to riot, how can I be at fault? And I was trying to think, was incitement to riot not a chargeable offense in the 1940s? I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, but it, it certainly is here because they they have all the rioters going on and, and they want to they want to put them down. Yeah, I mean, it might not have been, or it could have just been due to you know much more limited education back at the time, uh, much less of an understanding of how things you know how those things worked. You know, they had exactly. a basic understanding. They had these rights, but beyond you know, they didn't know specifics. Oh yeah, and maybe the person writing the comic doesn't really, didn't really actually understand much of what the police could and couldn't do. Yeah, like as far as they knew, maybe you're like, yeah, you can yell fire in a crowded building. Why not? And I think a lot of that understanding that is in popular mind nowadays is because of all the fiction we have. I mean, yeah, sure, we hear about the police in the in the um, newspapers and the news and everything, but. I think most of our interactions with law and court and cop situations is from crime fiction. The exact same crime fiction that Wortham came out against. Yes. And yet everyone loves it now. Because he just wanted to sell books. But anyways, we went from yes. writing to 40s comics to uh, Wortham. So, yes. Yay. And now back full circle to demons. Wortham's favorite thing. <laughs> yay, demons. But yeah, like I said, the, you know, the, the riot cops don't see the demons, they just... And I'm, I'm just thinking also, you, you can see the difference in the time by looking at this. They're there in their riot gear, which means they have helmets on, and batons, and that's it. Right. No shields, no armor. I guess... I don't know, I mean... It's just the difference of the times. Nowadays, you know, yeah, nowadays they're... are so I'm, armored up these days. Yeah. They're so armored up now, and they have these shields and everything, and... But here it was just, okay, here you go. You're, oh, riot time? Okay, here's a helmet. No, 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 no. Because I know in the 60s you see pictures of, like, in the civil rights st- uh, photographs and such, there are cops with shields. I mean, surely. I, I feel like I've seen this before, but maybe not. No, actually, you're right. They did have shields. I don't think, I, you know, although they didn't draw the shields here. But, yeah, but they just, I don't think they had armor, though, back then. No, no, probably just the, the face helmet and the plexiglass shields, and that was... Yeah. That was it. And the batons. Don't forget the batons. Well, they always of course, do. they had them in here. Yes. Well, it's, yeah. And even back then in the 60s, they sold the technology of big stick. Right. 
hit. So we skip the riot, jump from the riot back to the uh, scene back in the West Coast, where I guess now we know where, uh, oh no, that's right, yeah, David and Jason and Ellie are hanging out with Adam in Estrella's cabin. We're all friendly and chummy now. Yes. So they're hanging out. The second panel, um, Warlock says, my appearance on this planet has engendered quite a widespread following much sooner than I anticipated. And... Is it David? Says, what do you expect in these mass communication days? I was about to say something about that. Again, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I kind of feel like, though, that mass communication has swung to the wrong extreme. Like, okay, it's great to know about things that are happening as soon as they happen. But at the same time, you also have all of the rumors and lies and just bullshit that goes on on the Internet as a result of well, all yes. of this all of the different factors of humanity having access to immediate communications, including the lowest factors of humanity. Well, that's the, it's the good and the bad. The bad, the, you know, the good part is that it's not just a few gatekeepers who decide what information can go out, can be out there and what can't, you know, anyone can put the information out there. The downside of course is anyone can put any information out there, true or right. false. But you know, it's like anything else. It's, there's, the plus and the minus, you know. And I'm not just talking about the characters from, pin, from the Nickelodeon Pinwheel Show. <laughs> then Estrella bursts in, and like I said, it's her cabin, so she should be here. Yes. But she bursts in, and he's like, "Estrella, there are so many questions I have to ask you." She says, "Later, Adam. That's not what's important right now." And she turns on the TV about the riot, and he sees the riot and decides to go take care of it. And she's like. She gets in his way. He says, why do you stand in my way, woman? Yes. And she says, Adam, calm down. You mustn't by any means go to Washington. Uh, she doesn't just stand in his way. She, like, falls prostrate before him and starts... Is, is she blowing him in that first page? It almost looks like it. Yeah, she is latched onto his waist, kneeling in front of him, like, begging. But what I want to know is, if Estrella didn't want him to go... Why did she barge in just now? I know, and throw it on. What was her purpose in doing that? It's kind of strange. And you and I have had so many conversations about things that I had forgotten. Didn't we already know that she was Carpenter's sister? Um, I don't think they officially admitted it, actually, in the series before this. I thought that was in the very first story that... that Okay. When we first meet her, Rex Carpenter does something to help save a guy, right? Yeah. I thought that we found out in that issue that they were brother and sister. I'm actually getting my old issues of Warlock out right now because of the um, Ooh. Hmm. I'm trying the to asterisk. You might be right. I think we knew. I don't think Adam and I don't think the rest of them I don't think anyone in story knew. Like Adam. Oh man. Okay, maybe that's what it was. I think, but that's right. I think we already knew that she was his bro sister. You've never heard of my last name because I kept it from you. It's Carpenter, Estrella Carpenter, the president's sister. And, um, okay, uh, look this up because I'm really curious now. We're in issue two, where he first goes down to the planet. Sorry. No, I want to know now. I want to make sure what I'm saying. Editing out the space. In time. Okay. There's a crowd of people with a girl named Estrella. 
I think it's sort of also an issue one that I forgot to look there. Uh, I don't think they show up in issue one. I don't think they did it either, but because it seems like they're already around. Issue two is where they first I thought showed up to the city. Oh wait, maybe not. Uh, No, you're right. That's right. Must be one because two is where he they fight. He fights the man beast Mm -hmm. and kills him. Quote unquote. Okay, issue one. Get the recap. He argues with God. He has the Scooby gang, the four of them. They go to the city. Estrella says, you must protect my brother. He's in danger. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. first time we met, was Rex Carpenter the weird, shoddy prophet guy? Oh, I think he was. Yeah. Hi, Keenan. Hi. Because he was, because, well, well, wait, wasn't the prophet the man beast in disguise? Yes, he was. Oh, that's what it is. Okay, so you can you can uh, do a cut up until this point. No, 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 no. What it is is an issue one. When we first meet Estrella, she calls a weird prophet guy her brother. Yes. And um, Adam Warlock hunts down the prophet guy. The prophet guy turns out to be the man beast, and he destroys the man beast. So we know all this time that Estrella is the sister of the man beast. Now she's saying she's Rex Carpenter's sister, which fits into the reveal that you already said in the synopsis that, we've, that you and I have known all along, that Rex Carpenter is secretly the man-beast. Yes. Although he's not really the man-beast. Like they say in this issue, the man-beast possesses him. Because they even say, go look at war, uh, number two, uh, it was like page 18 or something, and you could see him go into a body when his spirit gets destroyed by Warlock. Okay, so, so it's, it's, a, a it's a little bit jumbled then, because yes. she says that she's Estrella Carpenter. Now, now, Estrella could have more than one brother, obviously. Or she did, or she's maybe psychic, like one of those psychics where like things get a little jumbled. So yeah, she knew it was her brother was going to be the man beast. She just you know happened to be helping him a little earlier than it happened. Or maybe she just maybe like you know she's just really ditzy. <laughs> And and the the prophet guy was not the man beast inhabiting somebody. He was the man beast with a human rubber mask. Yes. Well, you know those things fit easily over that big snout of his and everything. Right. And they look so weird. <laughs> yeah, they do. Hey, if they could fit, if a mask can fit over bad ears, they could fit over a big snout like the man beast. Right. Okay, so that's that's enough of the uh, trying to get our storylines straight yes. together. I, I think that. The writer, I think Mike Friedrich got his streams crossed a little bit and exactly how this is all supposed to work, but that's okay. Yeah, it's close. It's close. It's not exact, though. So yeah. then we have the high evolutionary in the recorder, and we trigger a flashback and a recap of everything. Yes, and although this is a weird... I'm confused by this one. At no point does the high evolutionary want to kill people. They want to destroy the planet. He's not saying that, Adam Morlock, you'll, you'll, you'll learn... He's not saying, can I hit the button now? Can I hit the button now? Nothing. <laughs> I'm very confused, because this is completely against every other appearance he's had so far in the series. Maybe he wants to look good in front of the recorder, because he knows he's getting documented for posterity. True. <laughs> and I but like that we, the recorder has a new costume. Just for the occasion. Yes, even though it's like, he's a robot that they have hundreds of recorders. It's like a, you know, you put a, he put a new skin on his iPhone, you know, on his, uh, 
He put a new cover on his iPhone. Big deal. Well, this is um, this was promised to us last issue. They promised us an explanation for how and why the Soul Gem works. Yes, we finally get that. And so, in, in what I what I'm calling page nine, because it's page nine of my digital copy, we get an explanation of the Soul Gem, and it seems even weirder now than it did before. <laughs> yes. Now that we have the answer, we're like, wait, what? Yeah, it gives him the ability to attune himself to matter's molecular vibrations and then affect it. So he can break it down and sort of dismant. He can cause things to disintegrate. Um, he can stop a burning fire. Yeah, it says he... Wait, wait, um, causing it to break down, on that level, affect it. Such as causing it to break down or preventing a change from occurring or continuing. And also, with great effort, he was able to devolve a beast man back to its earlier stage, a gibbon. So the devolving thing is acknowledged. But the weird thing is that the soul gem's power rests on the internal stamina of Warlock with the support of his followers recharging his powers. Yeah, so it's not just his physical stamina. It's almost like a mental thing. Or a spiritual thing. Well, actually, that would make more. That would fit more of the soul gem name too. So, actually, yeah, spiritual makes more sense. Almost like worship empowers him. Yeah, they which, did. A, they did a book, a one shot, I think. Uh, Mark, I think it was Mark Wade or Kurt Busiek. I think it was called Superstar or something. He did a few years ago, where it was like a superhero, and the thing was, the more pop, more people believed in him, the more power he had. Well, it certainly feeds into the whole allegory of Jesus as a god. Yes, you know, gods require worship. And, you know, some people say that whenever no one is left to worship a god, that god dies. Um, so the idea of Warlock as the Christ figure and the soul gem is sort of being the, the connection he has with deity and it requiring not only his own physical stamina, but also um, the support of his followers. That's weird, but it does totally fit into what they're doing with the character. Yes. Yeah, at least what they're trying to do. What they're trying to do, right. Yeah. I always, however, felt like that this, the Infinity Gems were like absolute devices. Well, like, yeah, they kind of, depending on how you want to look at it, they modified what they actually did, or it just was, you know, the High Revolutionary and Adam really didn't understand what they were doing with them. You know, they, they didn't have the instruction booklet, so to speak. I'm curious now if Sarlin does anything with the Soul Gem requiring fuel are requiring energy from Warlock in order to work. No, because because Starlin turns it into like, like a vampire thing. Yes. Oh, but you know what? That kind of works now, too. Like, like he's subconsciously feeding the on the energy of all the people around him in order to do what he needs to do. Yeah, but since he has so many people around who are you know, praising him, he doesn't need to get a lot. He just skims a little bit off the top from everybody. Right, so he doesn't kill anyone. He just... The, the gem feeds off of their... Emotional support. Yes, but then Weird. Later, but later on in the in Starlin's Warlock one, when he's not on Counter Earth and he doesn't have this, that thing is just like, okay, I just we're gonna kill this guy because I need everything from him. Right. I think we are probably thinking more about this than anyone in the seventies ever did. Yes, probably, especially with all the cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hell of a drug. Um, it's it's weird whenever you know the new editor-in-chief demands that he pay you in money rather than in cocaine. 
So it's, you know, it's, it's just strange. But Marvel, and, you know, comics were wacky places to work in the 70s. Yes. Okay. And they were all wacky creators. I mean, no. Now we go to uh, Rex Carpenter. Rex Carpenter says in panel two, I'm going to do something positive again to regain the total support I believe so necessary. I'm going to mediate directly with the marchers. I don't think that this is a something positive. Like, I think he's using a meaning of that phrase there that I hadn't really been familiar with before. Like, this whole process is not going to go well. No, I, I think he's just using the positive to say, because he's saying positive, because he just wants to say, I'm the evil man beast, and I'm, I'm, I need control, complete control, so I can do more evil things. Yeah, he's lying. Okay. Yeah, partially. He's lying. He's not lying about needing the total support, but he's lying about, I have to, well, basically, he's like, I need to do something, actually, he's, no, wait, he's not lying, actually, he's, truthful, I need to do something positive to keep my total support so I could do my really evil thing. Because if I just go out there and saying, I'm evil, I'm going to do evil things, I won't have the support, and then I can't do the evil thing. But the thing that he does is he goes out there and he starts preaching. Yes. And just like there. the early Rex Carpenter stuff where he would just like automatically gain a following anytime he said anything. We saw him at the beginning of his career when nobody really knew who he was. And we skipped over the, his rise to power. Yeah, because he kind of jumped over that part. Warlock was, uh, he was in the cocoon. That's right. Yeah. But it's a very Hitlerian, Luciferian kind of ability that he has to just captivate a crowd with what he says and get them to believe him. Yeah. Regardless. His, his own cult of personality. Right. So to speak. Which is too bad because I like what they said. I like that one, pa- uh, the one caption box. The man who inspired a nation and became its first president totally independent of political ties. I was like, oh, that would be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> you know, even Only if he's not going, because he's a man beast. Yeah. And then, because he's going out there to mediate with the uh, village people who took over the Washington Monument. Well, speaking of the village people, you have the demons like tossing babies around. I'm just wondering do the police see like a floating baby in the sky? What, what's going on here? Yeah, that one confuses me. And also, like, well, what? Ha- I guess. Yeah, they're tossing the baby around, and in the bottom panel we see the woman holding a baby, so I'm assuming that's the one that was being tossed. Right. Well, because as soon as Rex Carpenter starts talking, even the demons stop and listen. Yeah. <laughs> I like that they're not doing anything horrible to the kid, though. I mean, yes, they're throwing they're throwing a baby, but we don't. <laughs> it's hard to see what how holy literally is. I almost imagine like we were watching. You hear the baby giggling. Probably. I mean. It's fun to be thrown around. That's why we ride roller coasters, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, since we know that that's the man beast, and we know the demons work for him, he probably was like, well, listen, you gotta the protest. You can screw up the protesters, you can screw up Warlock, but you can't go too far, because if you go too far, everyone's just going to be horrified about what you did and not being paying attention to me and my awesomeness. You know, it's like, screw up the protesters, but you can't kill any babies. Because then everyone's just like, oh my god, babies were killed. Right, right. You know, and then, but as the climactic moment, the spell is broken with the shout, Look! Up in the sky! Dun, 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 it's Captain Marvel? It's Captain Marvel? Oh, no, it's Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock, the Superman of Counter Earth. Yes. The Super Jesus. Super Jesus. I, I think I read, I think Morrison made that character up. I'm not sure. Um, I think <laughs> Tim Minchin. Does a Christmas song on um, 
the Ross show, Jonathan Ross, and he he's singing about Jesus and like all these things about it, but now he's kind of zombie vampire Woody Allen Superman Jesus. It's <laughs> you should look it up. It's fun. Anyway, so the demons come up to the, come up to attack him, and they. I'm pretty sure they're just demons. Like I was expecting them to be like you know. Yeah, because now they name themselves. The horn, the the horned one is aggression, right? And the other one, the lizard, alligator, whatever he is, one. He apparently has he is deceit and dishonesty. And this fight gets very Starlin-like. Like these next few pages are very Starlin-esque. Yeah. Well, it's a great action sequence, and as usual, I start to have less to say about the action sequences. But the art's really cool. I do like how the Soul Gym gives him pin particles. Yeah. He shrinks deceit and dis, uh, dis, uh, what's his name? Deceit and. Despair? Dishonesty. Dishonesty. I was trying to say despair. I was like, despair is not the right word because despair does not mean deceit. <laughs> well, despair is in my head because I was thinking when you said about having uh, earlier before we started recording about Lily, your daughter reading X Men, the issue right. after the one you're giving her, one forty four, it's cycl- it's a solo Cyclops story with the man thing against despair. Ah, uh, so it actually was in my head before. So now I'm like deceit and like despair. I'm like, no, he's not in this one. That's the X Men. But yeah, he shrinks it down, and then of course you know they make allegory to everything they're doing. But they just say it. Like when he grabs the thing by the tail and he says, one can grab dishonesty by the tail with the force of truth and use the leverage that one gains to meet aggression. So, you know, basically just grabs a lizard by a guy by the tail, swings him around, throws him to the other demon. Yeah, it's Which just an allegory when you just like throw it out there. I guess it doesn't because Pilgrim's Progress is pretty much the same kind of thing. Yeah, but here's the part then afterwards, that next page, when everything gets all wonky. Yeah, it goes warbly and... There's, like, the full-page hentai scene. Yeah, this is when it becomes, like, the very... Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is when it becomes the Starlin thing. Even, like, the, the weird mouth at the bottom of the page. Normally, those things don't have teeth. What, Sorry. mouths? No, the... Oh. The given, the, give, given the look of the scene. And and if, you, if you just imagine the teeth were not there. And Adam's position? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that there are tentacles everywhere. Normally, those things don't have teeth. True, but like although you, there was that movie. <laughs> oh God, yeah, I, I didn't see that movie. I can't see that movie. That's <laughs> it is um, disappointing on every level. Oh, like it's you want a movie that's about that to be sexy, and it's not. Like yes, there are makeout scenes, and yes, there's a cute girl, and yes, it's all about people who want to do things with her and. And end up, you know, losing body parts as a result, but it's it's just camp without being sexy fun camp. Uh, well, I'm glad I skipped it then. Yeah. But yeah, not counting the hen- besides the hentai part, like, these pages are very much, like, it's almost like they look, you know, well, I guess it makes sense. I mean, maybe he talked to, Friedrich talked to Bob Brown because he was working on Captain Marvel with Starlin right now. You know, he was scripting the Captain Marvel book. Right. Maybe. I mean, it could have just been Bob Brown going crazy with it, but... It, that'd be just kind of interesting, though, if the work that Cap, that uh, Jim Starlin was doing on Captain Marvel was brought over a little bit by the scripter, who's also the writer of the Warlock book, and the next issue of this is going to be all World Starlin anyway. Because when Nine finally does come out, like a few years later, it is Jim Starlin doing it. 
Okay, um, Al? Yes? Smell its alarming pungency. Touch it as it becomes part of you. <laughs> Taste it, Warlock. Taste it. Now it's near. Goo filled, dripping with slime. <laughs> okay, never mind. Just it's just porn. <laughs> Isn't that the worst thing ever? Okay, I was completely wrong. They were not influenced by Sterling's work at Marvel. They were watching early hentai anime from Japan. <laughs> There's no excuse. <sighs> Mike, I tried to back you up on this one, buddy. <laughs> okay, but yeah, I, I, I actually do have a note. I was agree with you. This does feel sorry. This is the next page. Um, I, I think I have to mark this episode not safe for work now. <laughs> we haven't said anything explicit. I mean, I can start talking explicit if you want to get explicit. <laughs> or maybe not next safe for work, but just, you know, this is the se- this is the sexy episode. Yeah, yeah, gross sexy. Yeah, I didn't specify what kind of sexy. The next page was just the random images feels starlin'y, but it doesn't really seem to have any meaning. That that's why, yeah, it's trying to do Starlin's work without, well, like I said, just kind of just by glancing at it and seeing what he's doing without knowing. Like for the most part, like when Starlin does those weird pages, almost everything on there means something. Maybe the issue was intended to go a little bit further in the narrative and end at, at a different point. But the the word came down while he was drawing that they were getting the axe. They wanted to end at a place where they could just end it instead of being it much more. Right. So that maybe, maybe this is just padding. That yeah. Was added in later. Because Bob Brown's better than this. Yeah. I like the next page, that top panel of Tiny Warlock with the two demons talking to him, and like especially the the, the horn demon. He just looks very like happy and relaxed there. He's like. Come on, buddy, join us. Come they look on. like they're at a slumber party. I know. He's like, Adam, it's your turn. It's okay. Just listen. You're going to go to sleep. Listen, just put her hand in the water. <laughs> and I, I feel like they're going for the temptation of Christ thing, but we've already done that. Yes. So I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going on here. But... um we do well, finally get back to reality. Well, they, actually, they're definitely trying to do the temptation. They want him. To, they have the whole thing about him having his own Egyptian-style stat- pyramid with a statue. Yeah. So maybe Friedrich didn't realize they'd already kind of done that motif, and just thought it would be good to put in here. I'm not sure. It's all a bit strange. Yeah. And and again, this is like the soul jump's power comes in, but it's weird. He uses it to cut through their illusions, I cut through your death-filled scheme, let the truth shine in, and he ends up in the president's office with Rex Carpenter there. So that's not just, like, doing the things that the Soul Gem said before. That's, you know, teleportation stuff. Um, then we get back to the, uh, the, the reality. Yeah. So Rex Carpenter has been inhabited by the Man-Beast since... Warlock number two, page 20. Yes. And so I have Warlock number two open, and yeah. I'm trying to figure out where, which page would be page 20, like story page 20? Uh, hold or... on, I had it up. I found it before. Give me one second. I can kind of give you an idea of what's happening on there. Oh, I found it. Yes. It is the very last page. It's story page 20. You can, in fact, see if you, I mean, 
it probably you know wasn't drawn that way. For. Yeah, but if you're looking at it now, you can almost go, that kind of does look like it could be Rex Carpenter. Right. Yeah, it's panel two. Okay, then yeah. So, Warlock defeats the man, Beastie turns into a mist. Um, it wafts downward, heading unerringly into the crowd below. Yeah. And there's a man there in a business suit who is a very, you know, unfinished, but definitely... If we knew that was Rex Carpenter, there'd be no problem with saying that's Rex Carpenter in a crowd. Well, here's the other thing now. I'm looking at that panel again. He is standing there, facing us. His hand is outstretched, almost like he's hailing a cab. But look at the other three people in the panel. You can see them facing him. They're looking up at him, because he's, he's above them a bit, like he's on a podium. Oh, that's uh, that's a presidential campaign. Yeah. So he and oh, because right the panel before that, you actually see he's on the back of a truck. It says "vote." You can see the word "vote." So they plan that. Wow. For everything else that they might have thrown in last minute, that they planned. And really, I mean, to be honest, we have pulled out what I think is a lot of good stuff from these eight issues. But this series is not really all that good. No, it's not great. No. <laughs> There's a lot of, you know, really weird, bizarre stuff in here. And we're we're doing our best with it because we want to have fun on the podcast and because we like Adam Warlock. I do give them credit for, for having an outline of a story that they stuck to. Yes. And they were just doing superhero hijinks along the way. And yet it's sort of a different take on it because they were trying to do a different kind of hero in a different kind of setting. So it's a bit of an experimental book. Oh, definitely. I mean, in many ways. Like I said, just the allegory alone makes it experimental. Right. But they knew where they were going to go with it from the beginning. Or they had some idea what they were doing with the man beast at the very least. Yeah. Because right there, they had to have known what they were doing with that. No, I'm not saying that George Lucas knew that Luke and Leia were brother and sister. But he probably did know that they were going to end up with the Death Star getting blown up. Exactly. So, anyways. Um, yes, we get the big reveal here, though. As the man-beast spirit, I guess, is strong enough now to be whole again, because it comes out of the uh, carpenter, and carpenter passes out, and the man-beast is there in full physical form. And he actually even looks better than he did before. He looks almost like he has Warlock's body, but with a wolf head. Yeah. And man-beast and Rex Carpenter are the ones who have been behind everything this entire time. Yes, so all the stuff with the brood, the shadowy figure, that was all him. I'm guessing all of the weird instructions that Estrella was getting were all because of him. She's his sister, after all. Yes. Um, so even though the man-beast disappeared in issue two, Rex Carpenter showed up at issue four. And from that point on, the man-beast has been a player in Warlock's life, especially since... Warlock went into a cocoon and came back out again. Which would be, what, five? Because four is the one... Yeah, four is the one where Eddie dies, right? I want to say that's five, and that six, seven, and eight are his return from the cocoon. Okay. Well, either way, then, so he's he's there for an issue or two, and then he's basically not just a big force, but he's basically the bad guy in all those issues. You know, he's the leader. He's the leader of them. And it's neat because, you know, Satan is called the prince of this world. He's he's considered, you know, the ruler of the this worldly realm. That God 
you know, is, is ruler of creation, has the entire universe in his hand, but on this realm, in this level of existence, Satan is the prince. And it's up to all those who are, you know, spiritual to come against that power and follow God's power. Oh, okay. And so the idea of Rex Carpenter being the president of the United States and secretly being the man beast the entire time and also secretly manipulating bad events from behind the scenes, that all fits into the whole devil allegory we have going on here. No, that's very true. Because, yeah, but it... So it does work on that. I mean, well, not, I'm not saying it works, but it definitely doesn't not work. Right. Because there are things that work there for the allegory and things that don't go back and forth, back and forth. But it mostly, you can mostly see it. It doesn't, it's not like you look at it and you go, I don't see it at all. Right. You know, you, you can kind of get it. I'm just get laughing myself with this last panel where like Warlock's basically listing everything that's happened that the man is responsible for. It kind of reminds me of, like that scene in, uh, was it Young Frankenstein? If I you remember that movie? Young Frankenstein. You haven't seen it? No. It's one of those aspects of nerd existence that uh, I fail at. Well, for anyone else who's seen it, there's the one part where Victor Frankenstein realizes who's, you know, was behind, like, the music and led him to the cat, led him to the lab and led him to this and led him to that. And she's like, yes, yes, every, every time he yells it, and you, who did this? Yes, and you put out the cookies. Yes. <laughs> And that's just kind of what's in my head right now, Adam and the Man Beast. And well, we... That's it. Series over. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, we have a, a big old, you know, slightly more than half-page panel of Warlock versus the Man Beast squaring off in action poses, getting ready to duke it out. And our final uh, caption box says, This particular clash will be concluded sometime, somewhere in the Marvel Universe, true believers, but the struggle eternal goes on within all of us for good battling evil it is never the end and that's something that i think works well about the warlock series as it stands at this point is that as an allegory of the christian experience and the christian narrative you know the battle of good versus evil the battle of um you know, sp uh, spirit versus sin and faith versus conscience, not faith versus conscience, but faith and conscience faith working against temptation. Conscience. I like that one. Though. That's yeah. <laughs> well, for me, yes, but for, no, that's what I know I'm too. going for. <laughs> but, you know, that that struggle is an ongoing, lifelong fact of existence. And so I like that the story actually ends here or could end here if you if you never read another comic and stopped here, it yeah. would be there. It'd be good. Yeah. And it does kind of have that also, I mean, going away from the allegory part, just like, just going story-wise. Like, well, you just end the story, but it does kind of end on a nice, kind of like, it can go either way. Anything can happen now. Kind of like uh, the end of, uh, what's the, uh, the end of the, uh, the sh Ends of Angel, the TV series. Which I don't know how that ended. I wasn't there. Okay, I know I mentioned the show before, and I keep forgetting if you have or haven't watched it. They basically ended a very much like a cliffhanger note like that again. Okay. It's like there's a big endless battle. They're ready, you know, they're, it's like, okay, um, he goes, I want to fight the dragon. And that pretty much is how the show ends. Interesting. Kind of like, you know, still fighting, fighting. So even if you're not going with the allegory part, if you're just going just story-wise, it's still kind of okay to end this way, because it wasn't just... 
there was no specific thing like the baby's been captured or you know you're going to die if you don't get the you know obtainium in time or something <laughs> the obtainium yes <laughs> you know it's just you know the like you know it's a struggle between the man beast and adam or like you you know you said you know if you want to go with the allegory part but either way it kind of just still works to go okay yeah it it goes on and on or until the hulk <laughs> until the hulk <laughs> which is actually only about 8 months away yeah, I was just looking at the uh, cover date difference. It's June 74, and this yep. is October of 73. So, yeah, eight months away, yep. which, I mean, still, yeah, that's quite a while to be looking for the end of a story. So, uh, I mean, there's a good chance they might not have realized they were going to be doing it yet, then. Because I would assume they would have said something about it. Because if it was any sooner... I, be, I would be wondering why they didn't mention where it was going to be, be happening. Because if it was any sooner, they would have had it plotted out already. But at eight months ahead, they might, you know, from when they made this issue, they might not have had the Hulk that far done yet. And Jerry Conway is writing Hulk at the time. But Roy Thomas gets a story conceived and edited by credit. So maybe they just like, okay, let's... Um, Roy Thomas has a story he wants to tell. Let's squeeze it in over here. Well, Hulk's been there already, so let's use Hulk. Yeah, it, actually, that works pretty well. Is that Hulk was already on Counter Earth once? Let's send him back into space again. I mean, it's the Hulk, right? He can go into space. Yeah. And um, he can go into space. Have... He can fight on top of a spaceship for days. What are you talking about? <laughs> and actually, the, the the immediately previous issue, 175, was written by Roy Thomas. So I don't know exactly how the behind-the-scenes creative shenanigans worked on that. But um, there was an Inhumans issue in 175, and then Holt goes into space at the end of that story, and he's in Counter-Earth on the next issue with Roy Thomas overseeing the story, even though he didn't actually script it. Hmm. I mean, I assume also the other reason they probably used the Hulk besides that was that the Hulk issue, and I'm wondering if maybe they would have gotten to this if Warlock wasn't canceled. The Hulk issue is really the only time the other new men are used. Because, remember, from the Hulk issue, we had this whole good army of new men. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole new men civil war, which we don't see at all in Warlock. Right. But it and that was trying to find out what to do after the, after the, um, after the man-beast was dead, right? They were all confused. Yeah, and there's basically a group that go, you know what, the man-beast was wrong. You know, we're not going to attack people. And then there's the part that want to just do everything the Man Beast was doing. You know, let's go kill people. Let's go screw things up. Cyclops was right. Yes. <laughs> well, he was. Cyclops is always right. I, I go with the Cyclops is right part. But anyway, but <laughs> but yeah. So, but we don't see them ever in any issue of um, Warlock. I guess that's either, maybe the other reason he used the Hulk. You know, is because well, we might as well. F- Finish the over to have this dangling plot thread. We might as well also finish this dangling plot thread since it's the same planet anyway. Right. Although that is kind of cool. I mean, it's a little annoying they never touched on it in Warlock, but it's kind of cool. It kind of indicates like, yeah, yeah, he's the only one there, but it's still a whole planet. There's stuff happening all over there. Well, from this point forward, we have eight months of no Adam Warlock. The Thanos War is still raging over in Captain Marvel. Yes. But um, I'll be taking a participant. A, uh, spectator role during that story. And then I'll be back on, I don't know, somewhere down the road. Yes. What with the moving and everything now, my schedule is all wonky. 
Yeah. Well, you know, you got married. You're moving. Yeah. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super fair. The Fire and Water Podcast. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Van, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... So, this is the Friends and Enemies section, and if you haven't been listening before... Uh, this is basically just shows all the Marvel books that had a pu- publication date of October 73 that either Adam or Thanos have appeared in before. So we're just kind of poking in and see where everyone else is at right now. So, first one we have, and John, you let me know if you read any of these. Okay. Actually, uh, we have Fantastic Four number 139, Target Tomorrow. Do you remember, have you read that one? I'm looking at it. Does not look familiar. Okay. The Miracle Man comes back. He was an X Men villain. No, no, no. No, he's an FF three. FF three. Yes, yes. And he came back in one thirty eight, and now he's back in this one. And so is White Wingfoot. He's back. Uh, Wyatt Wingfoot, the guy who keeps trying to be significant. I like Wyatt. I don't dislike Wyatt. I just have a hard time thinking of as very important. He keeps on getting faded into the background. I know, but the thing is, he's one of the people they use when they don't... Uh, they seem to use him a lot when they don't have the fourth member around. Cause, <laughs> well, because this issue, Reed is barely in it. Mm-hmm. And Sue is not on the team. She she and Reed are separated, and she took Franklin away, and she ran off to Pennsylvania to live on a horse farm or something. Right. This is Johnny, Ben, and Medusa. So Wyatt actually... like A lot of times, Wyatt seems to fill the role of fourth member when they don't have a fourth member around. Like, he still makes it a Fantastic Four store, Fantastic Four. Well, not to uh, derail you, but I'm looking at the list, and Defenders number nine is also on here, which means we're in the middle of the Avengers-Defenders war. And, uh, yes, there might be an episode on that. Yes. Although, yeah. Um, we also have Incredible Hulk 168 by Steve Englehart and Harb Trimp. The Hate of the Harpy. I know you're reading Hulk. Have you got to the Harpy issue yet? No. I actually have oh. not been reading Hulk very much. He's not one. He's not one of my current reading projects, beyond the ones that I do for Avengers Inspirations. But we haven't gotten to his ongoing series yet. Well, yeah, no, you're, I know that one. You're nowhere near this issue. Yeah, oh. we are a full hundred issues before this issue. Yeah, this is the issue where Modok takes Crazy Betty Talbot, and uh, oh, and turn that's that's Betty right there as the harpy, isn't it? Yes. Ooh. Yes. Oh, but Doctor Spectrum is an Iron Man. Yes, yes, Iron Man 63, which also is Mike Friedrich again. Is this where you find out that this Dr. Spectrum is not really Dr. Spectrum? Maybe the next issue, I don't know. He's, uh, we don't know why this guy is, he's attacking Iron Man. The, the Prism is talking to him. Yeah, and the Prism in, in, in the original 
uh, Squadron Sinister story, the, spec- the the prism did talk to him. It did talk to him. Okay, I wasn't sure. By re- I hadn't read those. I was reading this one, and I was reading it at first. I'm like, I'm not sure if Iron Man knew yet. But he responded. He talked to the prism, so I'm like, I guess he knew. Well, the prism was talking to Doctor Spectrum. I don't know if the, the, I, I never saw the prism talk to Iron Man. Yeah, he talked to the prism was yelling at both of them. Okay, but I'm not sure who it is. You know. He acts like he's the uh, Doctor Spectrum that Iron Man fought before, number seventy, Avengers number seventy. I'll say this. Although I do find it weird. I mean, he's supposed to be the Green Lantern analog, but I'm like, could you do anything better than just holding your rock in your hand? I mean, (laughs) you are just begging to lose that. You are begging to make a slip up and drop that sucker somewhere. Tie it around your, you know, put it on a pendant or something. I don't know. Put it in a utility belt. Do something. But I am really reading these books now because I started reading these ones to go along with the Year Friends and Enemies. I am impressed at how much I am enjoying this run of Iron Man. Yeah, nineteen um, seventies Iron Man is supposed to be really, really good. I just have not read very much of it at all. And it and George Tuska helps a lot because George Tuska has like this semi Marvel house. I said this last time, but I think it's the best way I can put it. He has a semi Bronze Age Marvel house style and mm-hmm. a semi like cartoony style. Okay. So, like, you'll get, like, the regular stuff, like Iron Man fighting somebody, but then you'll have, like, crazy, you know, crazy people in the background, looking people in the background, like, almost like car- almost like a mad parody or something. Well, then Marvel Premiere has Doctor Strange and Baron Mordo, and um, that's a really cool cover. Yes, unfortunately, this one I have not read because they do not have these issues of Marvel Premiere on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. Well, the lead story is in The Essential Doctor Strange Volume 2, and the second and third story are reprints. And the lead story is only three pages long, so I'm not entirely sure that uh, you are missing anything. Okay. Well, because yeah, I, I have the description here for the story. It says, uh, Doctor Strange returns to the home of the Ancient One to gather his efforts and tie up loose ends. Once there, it's difficult to avoid waxing nostalgic. So, yeah, that fits with, uh, oh, we're delayed. Reprint and put a framing story around it. Uh, okay, yeah. So there's a three a three page, either lead or framing story with with two pages of or two yeah. stories worth of reprints. Yeah, reprint. the origin of Doctor Strange and the many traps of Baron Mordo, which were Ditko's first two. Yeah, not oh. the very first two, but two of the first stories. Yeah, like oh, I remember how he first found me. I remember like it was yesterday. You know, and you get the little cloud coming off his head and. Well, the beginning of Doctor Strange is kind of odd because you get in his second story, you get him fighting Baron Mordo. And then in the third story, you get the origin of Doctor Strange, or maybe the fourth. Maybe the fourth story, you get the origin of Doctor Strange with Baron Mordo in it. Yeah, his origin doesn't, yeah, they don't, they jump into him doing stuff right away. Right. But in the reprint here, they put the origin first, so you find out about Baron Mordo in the origin story, and then it goes on to a story that was actually published earlier about how Baron Mordo is causing shenanigans. Yeah, I mean, I want to read those ones, because I've heard good things about that Shumagorath story and the Doctor Strange and, uh, by, Steve Englehart and, Br- and uh, was it Brunner? Yeah. I want to read those. But like I said, they don't have it on the Unlimited yet. The first issue of uh, Premiere they have after the Warlock stuff is uh, number 15, which is the first Iron Fist. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I'll be able to read that when I get to that part, but... Right. We'd like to read some of the other ones. But anyway, and we get to our final Friends and Enemies issue, Thor number 216. The 4D Man... Yes, this is the last issue of the story of the 4D Man, When Chaos Rules. Jerry Conway is writing so many of these stories. Is he just writing everything at Marvel right now? 
Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, I mean, he's on Amazing Spider-Man. This is 125 with the Man Wolf. Well, I mean, I already have like five books here as it is for the Friends and Enemies, and I only have the three. I have, I have all the time. It's basically Conway, Inglehart, and Mike Friedrich. Yeah, because even here, Conway's doing Thor and FF. Inglehart has Marvel premiere and Hulk, and Friedrich has Iron Man and, as we know, Captain Marvel and uh, Adam Warlock. Although he's losing Captain Marvel, Jim Starlin is slowly taking that over. Yes, and he just lost Warlock. But yeah, and yeah, this, uh, Warlock's over now. <laughs> yes, but yeah, in this Thor story, yeah, um, yeah, Thor finds Sif and rescues her basically because oh, that's all well, Thor that's does. Never happened before. That's all Thor does. Yeah, I, I realized this yesterday. I'm look well, not yesterday when I was finishing up the last episode, and I'm doing the Friends Enemies. I'm sitting there looking. I'm going, okay, Thor is kind of like the one that's boring, like the one I like the least out of all these ones I'm reading. And I realized why it's kind of boring to me. I read these last few issues of Thor, that, like for this story, where Thor is trying to find Sif, who's gone. And I'm like, well, let's see. The last time I was reading Thor, back to Thor from this time period, more or less. 162 to 166 for this show, where he's trying to find Sif. <laughs> or when I did the first appearance of the High Revolutionary, where he's trying to find Jane. Oh, uh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, maybe, you know what, Thor? This is happening too much with every one of them. Maybe they're not missing. Maybe they're just trying to get away from you. <laughs> it, they're in hiding. There's a difference. Well, shall we wrap it up? Oh, one thing real, real quick, actually. I think it was in Thor. It's in Thor Iron Man. I, they had the Bullpen's Bulletin page, because I read this off the Marvel Unlimited. Uh-huh. And Adam Warlock actually got a blurb in there, in the Bullpen's Bulletin page. They pun- Really? Yes. They talk about the... There's like a little paragraph where they talk about certain characters returning, and they hype up the return of the recorder. <laughs> I shit you not. Wow, because everybody was missing the recorder. I'm like, really? Last scene in Thor 162. And yeah, he gets a little asterisk in this issue. Anyone recognize the recorder in his new uniform? We last saw Recorder in Thor number 162. Wait, are you kidding? Not even, hey, check out the last issue. Talk, talk about burying the lead. Yeah. Wow. Hey, you remember that really minor character that hasn't appeared in like four years? He appears for three panels here. Maybe oh. he's one of those that weirdly caught some fascination. Yeah, with the, oh, with it's the also writers. the last issue. What? Nothing, nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that. Pay no attention. All right. Well, we have gone through Adam Warlock's first series. It's sort of been a, you know, you have your pre-series stuff with his appearances as him in Fantastic Four and Thor. Yes. And then you have this run, which is Marvel premiere and Warlock, and has an epilogue in Three Issues of Hulk, which we'll talk about soon. But this is basically the end of his first run. And it's after the Hulk stuff that he's going to come back and start to become what everybody thinks of when they think of Adam Warlock. The Adam Warlock that landed on the 75 greatest Marvel comics ever sold. Yes. Which so I'm looking for. forward to that, but it's going to be a little while. I'm looking forward to hearing how the Thanos War comes out. So am I. Um, I should look into that, I think. Yeah, yeah. One of these days. Here's pretty cubelicious. Yeah, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I was giving you the little drum roll thing. No, no, no. No, your drum roll is fine. Cubelicious is... Uh, oh, know. okay. 
Oh, I was hoping you knew. That was your word. That's not my word. But um, even though I won't be around here, Lily and I are going to be getting back into some regular recordings soon over at Avengers Inspiration. So if you've been wondering where new episodes are with that, um, we had middle school. Now I'm doing a class. She's at Girl Scout camp. And then there's there's a couple other things that are going to take us into July. But as soon as she's done with that, we're going to get to some serious recordings so I can get some serious releasings going on again soon. Yeah. Because I, I, I miss podcasting with the Lils. I miss we hearing have, it. Um, we have Avengers, we have Spider-Man, we have Sergeant Fury, we have all sorts of stuff to talk about. Yeah, you didn't even get to that. Did you do anything on the movie? I forget. We recorded an episode, but um, okay. the Avengers issue discussion did not come out right, so we're going to have to re-record that bit. That's right, because you're going to do it with Avengers 1, I think, right? Right. Okay, that's right, because I know that one hasn't been out yet. Right. I wanted to have that out before the movie hit, but um, no. No. Eh. So that means everyone had a chance to see the movie now. Yay! So, they don't worry about spoilers as much. So if you have not listened yet, this is a great time to catch up on episodes, and then you'll have new episodes coming back later in the summer. Yes. And if you want to, there will be a link to it, both on the, uh, if you're downloading this off iTunes, or if you just go to the Tumblr page for the, for this episode, there will be a link. So you have no excuse. There's never an excuse to not listen to my shows. I mean, really? Even my wife listens to my shows. No, she doesn't. (laughs) Well, I guess she's the only one that has an excuse. I hear him talk enough. I don't have to listen to him on my free time. No, 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 no. All right, well, John, we're all going to miss you here. And by we, I mean me and whoever else is in my head. All right, well, I will see you then. Yes. We will see you around, John. Bye. Bye. I miss you. If you feel so inspired, there are a few ways you can contact us. You can send an email at resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com or just leave an iTunes review. Either one will be greatly appreciated and will be read on the air at some point. Also, be sure to check out the show's Tumblr page where I post images from the issues we review at resurrectionsadamorlock.tumblr.com. And finally, keep an eye out on this feed because I'll be dropping a promo for a new show within the week. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back in August, and hopefully should be able to be back to twice a month. See you then. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.
Yes, he's gone, finally. Thank God. What a prick. Hey, did I can't did I hang up on this call yet? Is everyone lend it? <laughs> <laughs> Why the hell not? Okay. Alright, well I'm gonna go and see my family. But thank yes. you for uh Oh, thank getting... you for being hanging out. It was fun. And um Definitely. We'll do whatever whenever. Yes.